Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Tuesday, September 19th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode eight. Today, I want to talk about why fertility awareness is not the rhythm method. When I first got off the pill and read Tony Weschler's book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility, I noticed when I told people about it that they had very worried looks on their faces, and um, it was uh, very much a, I don't really believe that that's possible look, and it's a look that could only come from someone who hasn't read and hasn't been educated about fertility awareness. Even a friend's mom made the joke to me, what do you call a couple that practices natural birth control? Parents. And I couldn't blame her, and I can't blame anyone for uh, not understanding because menstrual myths are deeply ingrained in our culture. And at this point in my journey through fertility awareness, I've learned that uh, there are a lot of these myths, and I've learned to identify many of them when they come up in conversation. But what I want to focus on today is that fertility awareness method is not the rhythm method and it's not the natural family planning method. So I'm going to go over the distinctions and why it's really important that we don't conflate them. And this is because it detracts from the facts and the true rate of effectiveness for FAM. Uh, It becomes very blurred when it's lumped in with the rhythm and natural family planning methods. The first and most obvious difference is that the rhythm method is retrospective and predictive. It uses the global average menstrual cycle of 29 days and a system of counting to determine future ovulation. We know this not to be scientifically accurate and provides only a rough idea of what your future fertile window will be. As you may know from the previous podcast, ovulation can be delayed for a variety of reasons. And so relying on a global average of everyone's menstrual cycles is not a very good way of learning about your own body and the way that you work. Secondly, fertility awareness is diagnostic, so it completely throws out the idea of previous cycles as a determination of future cycles, and it's based off of your daily and even constant observations. So when I observe cervical fluid, I can say right in that moment that I am fertile, and when that fluid dries up in the future days, I can definitively say that I'm no longer fertile. So it's really happening right in real time in the moment. It has nothing to do with predictions. Related to this is the use of a calendar as a reference. The rhythm method relies on the calendar, as I've just said, to determine the future cycle. And fertility awareness method asks you to actually throw out the idea of the calendar entirely. It asks you to shut off the predictions on your period tracker app uh, because those predictions are, again, those are using rhythm method more than they're using any fertility awareness information. So if you're trusting the app to find your fertile window for you, you're actually relying on the rhythm method. So the fertility awareness method says, no, actually throw that calendar out. Listen to your body signs first. Listen to your body signs before anything else. And uh, for example, I've gotten my cycles into a consistent range for the past year. They've been within 28 to 32 days. But with that, my ovulation day ranges from day 13 to 19, month to month. The reason why I can tell you that is because I chart very rigorously and I am always observing my cervical fluid and position. So when my cervical fluid is present, 
it's my most immediate and primary observable sign of fertility. So I'm not saying to myself, oh, it's day 14, I must be fertile, but I'm dry. So that doesn't make sense in fertility awareness method. If I'm dry on day 14, I treat day 14 as a non-fertile day because sperm can't survive inside of me for any period of time if there's no cervical fluid for them to live in. So you start to think about things in a different way, and it definitely makes you closer to yourself and your body. And again, the rhythm method just completely glosses over and doesn't account for this at all. There's no discussion of the changing uh, signs from, from day to day. The third difference between the rhythm method and the fertility awareness method is that the rhythm method cannot account for any other health conditions at play. Some of these things could include a condition like PCOS, or it could be something simpler like you traveled a lot that month or you're really stressed out. All of these things can affect and delay your ovulation. With fertility awareness, I'm not just counting the days from my last period. I'm actually charting myself as I move into my follicular ovulation and premenstrual phases. So I'm actually charting myself 100% of the time rather than relying on something that is, again, based off of a standard and not individualized to me at all. It has nothing to do with my history, my health conditions, what I may be going through emotionally, whereas fertility awareness method is much more integrated and aware that you are a whole person with lots of things going on and that you are also affected by your environment and the things around you. The fourth difference is that the rhythm method can't give you any other vital health information that the charts can easily provide. Tracking waking temperature can give you thyroid information as well as information about your progesterone levels because that's how it functions. Uh, the symptothermal method is based off of your rise in progesterone is what causes your rise in temperature. So if you're not seeing a very consistent rise, it could mean that you ha are having issues with progesterone. And especially if you're trying to conceive, that could be a problem. So again, if you're just doing the rhythm method and you're not getting pregnant, you could be very frustrated. Whereas if you are using FAM, you would know, hey, I need some support with progesterone. Maybe I'll take supplements that help me get that level up or discuss with your doctor what the next steps are. So that's just one example. Tracking the presence of your cervical fluid can teach you about your estrogen levels because if you do not have cervical fluid, you do not have a high estrogen level, and if you don't have a high estrogen level, you aren't ovulating. So again, these like things are all connected in the body. Tracking the length is a really good indicator of whether there is an underlying health condition present. Uh, I know extra long cycles are a good indicator of PCOS, and in a chart you would also see the multiple attempts at ovulation, those long patches of cervical mucus being present are indications of the body attempting to ovulate and not being able to do it until maybe day 35 and then the woman's cycle maybe 45, 50 days. So again, there's more information when you start to create this chart for yourself. I've also been lucky enough to observe the drop in my temperature on the morning of my period. So I actually get a pretty good heads up as to when I will begin bleeding. So I can just use my menstrual cup and then just let my body actually go into the bleed without feeling like I don't know when that's going to happen. So there's another advantage. Not only are you looking to pinpoint your ovulation, usually in the chart you can 
see when exactly you're going to menstruate. So that's, again, another thing that women are just taught that our menstrual cycles just show up and that, oh man, I wish that we could figure out when that's occurring. Well, there is a way and there's a scientific way. So I'm always advocating for that. Lastly, uh, you know, your moods and attitudes towards life can be used to your advantage when you're charting. For me, I always recognize how tired I am during PMS, and I try to respect that now instead of fighting through it. Or recognizing how powerful that I feel during ovulation, I can schedule my most important meetings for that week. So it can really be integrated into your life through that recognition that you are constantly in the cyclical motion. The fifth difference is that fertility awareness method is a secular and scientific method. There is no religious dogma attached to it. Unlike the rhythm method and the natural family planning methods, which are commonly touted in the Catholic and Protestant churches, and they preach abstinence, fertility awareness method only requires abstaining from semen in the vagina during the fertile window, not sex altogether. So this is another thing that detractors of the method will try to say that, you know, they, what they won't tell you about natural family planning is that you must abstain from sex. And... I just think that that's ridiculous as someone who practices the method. Uh, I don't abstain from sex. That's not happening. And secondly, there's a lot of other creative ways to change the way that your sex life functions so that you can enjoy fertility awareness. So obviously condom use is totally a thing. Then you become at the failure rate of the condom. So that's something that you have to take into account. But there are also more creative ways to queer your sex life. And to me, that means doing other fun sex acts during the fertile window, like 69ing or giving each other head or playing with sex toys or role playing or doing kink scenes together or just generally making sure to enjoy the fertile window for what it is and enjoy as many orgasms as possible. There's nothing that says that you have to abstain from having orgasms during your fertile window. And honestly, you shouldn't. And you should enjoy yourself all the way through your cycle, through all the different feelings that you feel and all the different ways that you express yourself sexually. I think that fertility awareness can actually bring you really much closer to your partner and it can cause you to think outside of the box in ways where other methods just keep the, keep the status quo. This is related to my sixth point, which is that fertility awareness method includes and involves your partner or partners in your fertility, especially when your partner is a man or a person with phenotypical male genitalia. They've mostly been absolved of any duty or responsibility towards contraception in our culture, and so this is a hugely powerful idea that your partner could be clued into your cycle and how it's changing and how that can be a real positive for your relationship as a whole. For me, it helps to have somebody that understands when I need support and when I'm feeling introverted and, you know, at the at the opposite end, when to, you know, gas me up and make me feel great because I'm already feeling good. And there's a lot to it. There's a lot of discussion that happens when you enjoy a relationship that, you know, respects the changes within you all the time. And it can take some time for partners to really understand. But once they do, their reaction to tough times is often better, easier, and you're able to get through the hard times because you know that there's a cycle to it and that there's going to be good times coming soon. 
Now, there are some really troubling things that I've read online from gynecologists who have a lot of negative things to say about fertility awareness. I found an article from November of 2016 where a gynecologist was being interviewed about fertility awareness, and the quote is, quote, it requires the patient to be very in tune to her body and a partner who is willing to comply with the use of a barrier method or avoiding intercourse around the time of ovulation. Now, to me, that is such a negative way of positioning this method. I just spoke about how in tune I am and how in tune my partner is and how positive that is for our relationship. I just find it very interesting that the gynecological perspective is that you have to look to the ends of the earth to find a partner who is willing to comply. You shouldn't be with a partner that is just willing to comply, just period. (laughs) Your partner should be on board. They should be excited about this. This should be a new exciting chapter. This should not be something where your partner is willingly complying. Usually when that's happening, it's because the man has not read the literature and so they don't believe the science and then that causes all kinds of doubt and uh and again the use of a barrier method or avoiding intercourse around the time of ovulation again it it's very heteronormative it just assumes that intercourse is the only true sex act which is something that our culture needs to get away from in general. So again, fertility awareness can aid in that. Another quote from the same article from a different gynecologist says, quote, you have to have self-control. It's a non-hormonal option with a high chance of accidentally getting pregnant. And again, it comes from this idea that sex should be this thing where we should just have no control and be completely uninhibited and there should be nothing in our way. And uh, I think that is just... It's not truly reflective of what sex is. Sex is a very serious thing. And then secondly, I don't feel like I'm practicing having self-control. I I don't describe my experience with fertility awareness as something where I have to control myself and control my behavior. As I just discussed, it's really about changing your perspective. And your behavior does change but for the better. It's actually more interesting and more creative than it was when I was on the pill. Not to mention that the pill made me hate myself, so I couldn't enjoy sex at all. (laughs) This is a constant problem within mainstream gynecology, and it's only just now being studied. I was researching from this advocacy group called the Red Tent Sisters, where Their clients were reporting that they were being shamed by their doctors with things like, quote, good luck with that being the response one person received when they shared their contraceptive method. They did a survey of almost 300 women that the survey found that 9% of women have been laughed at by their doctor when sharing their use of the fertility awareness method. And it found that 27% of those participants also shared that their doctor was equating the fertility awareness method with the rhythm method. So I see that as hugely problematic. I'm sure if I had told my gynecologist on the last day that I saw her when I told her I wanted to get off the pill, if I had already been educated about fertility awareness and told her about it, I'm sure she would have discouraged me. Uh, even though she was encouraging me to use other forms and will ask two, three times before leaving the office if I would like a prescription. So yeah, that's definitely an issue. I had my own incident when I went to get my STD test at a local Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn. 
and on the intake form it asks what your contraceptive method is and so I wrote fertility awareness method and when I got into the appointment and met with a doctor she told me she handed me back the form and she said erase fertility awareness method and put nothing so that's what Planned Parenthood thinks of fertility awareness. I noticed on the wall while I was sitting in the appointment that there was a big poster of all the different contraceptive methods and fertility awareness was not listed. So that will give you an idea of what the mainstream gynecological world thinks of fertility awareness. And for me, I personally think it has something to do with the fact that it doesn't make anyone any money. And I think that's one of the major reasons why we aren't taught this in school and why menstrual myths are still disseminated. It's because there is a profit to be made from the pharmaceutical industry within uh, fertility. So as you can see, there's a lot of advocacy that must be done within the mainstream gynecological world as well as the world at large because this is the basic biological functions of everyone with a phenotypical female genitalia setup. Um, so I don't see why there has to be so much shame about sharing the information when it's pretty astounding, um, that we don't just learn this early on. It could help a lot. The last thing that I want to talk about is when you move from using fertility awareness as a contraceptive to a period of your life where you may be using it to get pregnant. The rhythm method can often be very frustrating because if a woman is simply counting her days and then going and trying to have intercourse on that day, which she believes is ovulation, day 14, it's possible that she's not fertile at that time. And so this can become very frustrating. You're trying month after month on day 14 and you're not getting pregnant. So you think something is wrong. So you go to your doctor and you say, I need some help we're trying and it's not working. And that's when your doctor suggests a variety of interventions. And you might not need any of those interventions. You might just need to know when you're ovulating. If you want to get pregnant on your time, meaning that maybe you've set aside time in your career to get pregnant, you've probably made yourself a pretty small window for that to occur. And something commonly that happens with people who follow the rhythm method who are trying to get pregnant and using that day 14 as the day to have intercourse is that they're trying month after month and not seeing any results. And so that's very frustrating. And then you as a couple are taking on that stress of not being able to get pregnant at the time that you've chosen. And there are so many other things going on in life that I guess when I read the book Taking Charge of Your Fertility, I didn't fully understand the gravity of the title, but now I understand that it really is taking charge, meaning you are empowered in a way that no other contraceptive method can empower you. And to me, that's just changed my whole entire life, and that's why I've dedicated a good deal of time to speaking out about fertility awareness and why I want to continue my work in that realm because I do see the importance on both the contraceptive side and the fertility 
side of life that uh, I want to be empowered in both and I want to be able to choose when I get pregnant and I want to be able to choose when not to. And right now, that's the setup that I have and makes me very, very happy. So I'm very grateful for you taking the time to listen to me and so that you can maybe correct misinformation when it comes up with others. And there really are a lot of differences between fertility awareness and the rhythm method. They have no similarities other than the fact that they are both non-hormonal. Um, but fertility awareness method is aware of your hormones. Even though it's not using hormones, you are aware of your hormonal pattern and the changes in your body day to day. And so that is why the method is so much more scientific and so much more accurate than the rhythm method. The rhythm method has a 75% efficacy rate. So that means 25% of people will get pregnant on that method, which to me does not make it effective at all. Um, that's a huge number. Fertility awareness, in contrast, is 99.4% effective when used uh, correctly. So the difference is that if you use fertility awareness, you're using one of the best contraceptive methods, one that has an effective rate that is equal to or arguably better than birth control. And uh, you're also tuning into your body in a new and deeper way, a way that can give you a lot more information than just birth control. You're also really getting clued into your adrenal system and your whole bodily function can have a number of benefits. And once you get really involved in it, you start to see that there's a lot more to it. So um, I hope that this podcast could dispel some myths and also give you some ammunition when speaking with others because I feel like uh, these myths are perpetuated not just by the general public, by society, by media. They're also perpetuated by doctors, by Western doctors. So that's something that a lot of us are going to have to work on in the future. But I appreciate that there are people out there willing to listen and willing to learn the differences. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, share it with others. This concludes episode eight of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Good night.